1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is where we left off, correct? Chapter 4. Chapter 4. What verse do we you guys remember? That? Bingo, right? 11, 14, 22. That's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work back to like verse 8, get a running start, because I think we ended right around 14, 15, somewhere in that. Re- well, we were going to finish the chapter. How about that this morning? All right. Read ahead. Let me encourage you to read ahead. And um, I'm just kind of giving you like a disclaimer. It's going to get heavier and heavier as we go through this letter together, by the way. This is a corrective epistle, and uh, there is a lot of correction, um, necessary correction. I'm so grateful for this letter because it addresses all those issues that we face in the church, correct? Do we ever have issues? Not this church. I've heard about different churches. And the, there are issues that come up, and God gives us his word to help us to navigate those things to move forward in a way that's healthy and that brings God honor, you guys. And so um, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. We're so grateful to be a family, to be, um, to be your sheep, to have you as our shepherd. Thank you that our lives, that they thrive and abound under your care. And so would you um, nourish us this morning, teach us, Lord, we've, coming, we've come to hear from you, to experience a, a fresh work of your spirit. We know that, um, that you are here, that your power is here to help, to heal, to work. And so we open our hearts to all that you desire to do. We thank you ahead of time for the great things you're going to do for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. All right. So, let me get the clock going here. Pastor, you use a clock? I sure do. It's just hard to get started sometimes. Well, it's not working. So, chapter 4. Remember where, how we got to chapter 4? If you haven't uh, been with us, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church that he had planted, that he had started. He had ministered there and pastored um, these precious people. He was part of this work of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit was doing in Corinth, a glorious work. He was part of it, and then he had left. He left the church in in the hands of capable ministers of, of leadership, but later on he gets word that there's all kinds of issues that have problems that, have, that are plaguing the church that are about to wipe out a work of the Spirit, that are about to, um, to derail this amazing thing that God is doing in Corinth, and so he doesn't, uh, he doesn't just sit back and do nothing. He reaches out in love, even though, guess what? They were trash-talking about him. They were talking behind his back, slandering him, saying, saying awful things about the Apostle Paul, and yet in all of that, he still loved them enough and cared about them enough to reach out to them, to, to desire to help them, uh, to stay the course, to keep going in the right direction, following Jesus. And the first issue that Paul deals with, and it takes him like four chapters to deal with this issue, and it's the issue of division in the church. 
you guys with me this morning still? That issue of division. Remember, some were saying that they were, they were the followers of Paul. Some were saying we're of Apollos. Some were saying we follow Peter. And they were, they were becoming prideful about the area of ministry, about their leaders, about their certain groups. And they were looking down on one another. And there was, there was tension beginning to happen with the ch- within the church. And we know that by pride, it tells us in Proverbs, by pride comes nothing but strife, nothing but contention. And so here's this place of, when you come to church, it should be a place of peace, correct? It, sh- it shouldn't be a place of drama. There's enough drama out there, correct? There's, there's enough drama in the world. When people come to church, it should be a place of peace and of unity and love and growing together and moving forward together. And so when people were coming to church, it was anything but that. And so Paul is helping them get back on track. Um, so we're going to wrap it up this morning, chapter 4, this first issue. Um, and so let me move back to verse 8. Because Paul is, is making this contrast between um, the little cliques, the little schisms, and the prosperity they were experiencing in Corinth in contrast to his life and some of the other apostles that were going through hardship and difficulty serving the Lord, the church of Corinth was experiencing a time of of prosperity, of physical prosperity. But if we're experiencing physical prosperity, it may not be an indication that we are doing things right in God's eyes. It may not be an indication that God is endorsing what we're involved in or doing. God is gracious, correct? He is good. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. And so Paul's, again, trying to help them to see clearly what's going on. Verse 8, that's enough of an intro, correct? You are already full. You guys are full, satisfied. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And he's using divine sarcasm here. Because he goes on to say, and indeed I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Again, this divine sarcasm Paul is using And then he goes on to talk about what's been going on with himself and the other uh, apostles, the the reality of ministry sometimes. He said, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. And we're starving and thirsty. And we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. No place to lay our head. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Following in, the, following in the Lord's footsteps, in his example, there is suffering that happens in ministry and in life. And so he goes on to say, and we labor working with our own hands. We're providing. There's no paycheck. We're not doing this for a paycheck. We're not, we're not given a paycheck. We're laboring with our own hands to provide in, in order to enable us to minister to you, to minister to others. And he goes on to say, being reviled. What's that mean to be reviled? What does that mean to be reviled, you guys? Little quick, little quick tet. Being reviled. What does that mean? Being defamed. We'll see being defamed used in just a minute. It, we could say being harassed, hassled, um, words spoken bad. 
about us. And what does he say when that happens? What does he, what, what, what does he do? Being reviled, we do what in return? We bless. When people are talking trash about us, we don't retaliate or respond that way. We bless those people. He goes on to say what else? Being persecuted, we endure. We, we stay up under it. We keep going forward following Jesus. Being defamed, that's also another way of, of uh, being criticized or, or, or slandered, if you will. We entreat, in other words, we exhort or we pray for or we encourage those people not to keep doing it to us, but we encourage them in, in love. We respond and retaliate in love to them. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. And so he goes on to say, listen, he's saying these things and he's got some hard things to keep saying, but he's saying these things. Why? Why is he using these illustrations? Why is he using divine sarcasm? Why is he, why is he speaking the way in which he is speaking to them. Look what he says with us, says to them, says to us this morning too. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So he tells us he's not writing to shame them, to make them ashamed, to hurt them, but he's writing, why? Because he loves them. He views them as his children, his beloved children, correct? Is that what he's saying? You're like my own children whom I love dearly, and I'm writing, why does he say he's writing? To caution them, to warn them. As parents, do we ever warn our kids? Is it important to warn our kids? Is it always easy to warn our kids? It's not. Do we do it because we want to make their lives miserable? They think that though, don't they? Mom and dad are just scheming. They're doing this stuff to make a... And it's like, really? You think mom and, mom and I sit up at night? How can we get them? <laughs> yeah. How can we make their lives really a bummer? No, we want, we want our kids to be blessed. Correct? We want the best possible life for them as they're walking and following the Lord Jesus Christ because that's where life is found. That's where, that's where peace is found and joy are found is following the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's sometimes we have to warn them about some, certain things. And Paul's saying, I'm saying this to warn you. And what was Paul warning them about? We're going to see this phrase used over and over. It's the phrase being puffed up. What does it mean to be puffed up? Prideful. To have a big head, to be swollen, to be lifted up, to see ourselves as better than others. Is pride dangerous? It, it, doesn't God warn us in the scriptures about pride? He does. That pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So it's like, okay, the Lord's warning us. He's, well, he's warning the church, but he warns us also. And I would say, simple lesson, real spiritual leaders warn us. Why? Because real spiritual leaders care and they're concerned about your walk with Jesus Christ. And so we see here as a dad, he's warning them. And the Corinthians thought they had it all together. When you think you have it all together, that, that can be dangerous, can't it? 
we think we've arrived spiritually or we're better than all these other people. And again, they're experiencing a time of prosperity. And, and Paul's saying that you've been really successful, but it's brought some problems. It's, br- it's brought some problems into the church. And so Paul presented that contrast we just read about in verses 8 through 13. And I think one of the warnings is don't let pride take you in a direction where you start to think you're better than someone else, that you're better than others. And so that word warn, by the way, that word warn also means to admonish. It means to correct. And it also means to counsel. Are we called as Christians to admonish one another? To counsel one another? We are, aren't we? The Bible, listen, and I I hadn't seen this till this week, is that the Bible also tells us how to admonish, to correct, and to exhort one another. Can I give you a few verses? You guys can check this out later. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 31, with tears. With tears. Paul warned the Ephesian elders about the wolves that would, um, that would try to rip off the flock. Romans 15, 14. We, took, we are to admonish, filled with all goodness and knowledge. Colossians 1, 28. We are to admonish with all wisdom. Colossians 3.16, we, we are to, it says there, we are to ad, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another, this is so cool, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with the word of God. And then this last one is in 2 Thessalonians 3.15. If I went too fast, I'm sorry, I will, uh, I'll be outside after you can get them from me. 2 Thessalonians 3.15 um, We're to admonish, when we admonish someone, we're to treat them as a brother and not as an enemy. To treat as a brother and not an enemy. And so, um, some good instruction on that when we're to warn and to admonish and to counsel. Paul goes on in verse 15, check it out. He says, in the Lord, you may have 10,000 instructors or teachers, but really you don't have many dads. Lots of teachers, not many dads in the Lord. And he reminds them, he reminds the church, right? It was through my ministry to you that you came to know Jesus. You were, you were, you were birthed, so to speak, spiritually, under my ministry. Paul had led them to the Lord. But not only did Paul lead them to the Lord, but as a dad, he walked with them. He loved them and cared for them and prayed for them. I think about good dads, man. Some of us have had good dads that have walked with us through thick and through thin. And a modern day vernacular here, listen, I know you have 10,000 teachers you're watching on YouTube. But Paul's saying, don't forget how you used me, how God used me in your life. You're now into this celebrity thing, but let me remind you, I walked with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I was with you to wipe away your tears, to rejoice when you rejoiced. I've been with you through thick and thin. And I think as we study this letter, there was no doubt a large number uh, of church leaders that were influential, self-important, that were taking the church in a bad direction. They had become uh, prideful and boastful and domineering. And Paul is, is saying, you know what here? I'm not on a power trip. I'm not lording over you. But I care about you as a dad. I care about you as a father. I have this God-given relationship with you. And it's not an accident. 
and I'm not using my position to tear you down. Uh, and he's going to say that, listen, twice Paul will say this to the Corinthians. We don't use our power and authority to, to destroy you, but to build you up, to edify you. That's so important, you guys. When God has given you power or authority in his kingdom, we use it not for demolition, but for building one another up. Look at verse 16. In light of that, what does Paul say? Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Does Paul say that anywhere else in the New Testament? Does he say imitate me or follow me anywhere else, you guys? He's going to say it again in 1 Corinthians. He's going to say, follow me as I follow, as I follow Jesus Christ. He says it on a number of different, different occasions in the New Testament to follow his example, to follow his lead. And what's interesting is when you break it down in the Greek, and I, I've shared this before, I'm no Greek scholar. I got a killer Bible program on, on my computer. It's in the continual tense, the verb tense. So he's saying continually follow my example, continually up for you. And so we have to ask ourselves, what in the world is the pattern that Paul laid out for them. Let's keep reading. Look what it says. Verse 17 and 18. He said, For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. And here it is. Check this out. Don't miss this. Who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, I'm sending Timothy to you so that you would understand what I'm saying, what I'm trying to communicate to you, that you'll have a clear understanding of what I'm saying here. And I think, again, the, the text begs the question, who is Timothy? Do you guys remember who Timothy was? You guys know, you're Bible, you guys are Bible students, you studied the Bible. Timothy was Paul's sidekick, his protege, correct? He traveled with the Apostle Paul. He was willing to be sent to different places. We read in the book of Philippians that Paul had sent Timothy, and Timothy was the only guy that was like-hearted with Paul, he said, that would care sincerely about your state, about what's going on in your hearts and in your lives. I think that's pretty cool to be said about you. So Paul says, but Paul identifies Timothy here as number one, what does he say? My beloved, my beloved son, right? He's beloved, number one, he's beloved. I love Timothy. And not only that, Timothy knows I love him. He's faithful. Is that what it says also? He's faithful? Is faithfulness important in ministry, yes. in life? Yes. Do you guys like faithfulness? Yes. You like things that are reliable, yes. dependable? The internet? No. <laughs> yes, 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 no. So some of you are like, yeah. Yeah, because if that thing goes down, I don't know how to get home. <laughs> what? No, wait, where's my ways? Google Maps ain't working. What do I do? I don't even know the names of the streets. I gotta get out my Thomas Guide. They have Thomas Guide still? Anybody know what Thomas Guide is? They're only in Cali. <laughs> How do I read a map? A1, G50, sink my battleship. <laughs> right? 
I, that's a lame example. I use it. I've been using it though. It works. But we appreciate faithfulness, don't we? Yes. And Paul says Timothy is a faithful son. Is faithfulness required in us? Yes. Where does it say that? How about the second verse of this chapter? What does it say? <coughs> Moreover, it is required in a steward that they be found what? Faithful. If you're taking notes, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, it is a requirement for women who serve in the church. Faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.2, faithful men are needed to teach others also. I, and here's another verse. I, I didn't even know it was in there. I found it this week. Proverbs 28.20, a faithful man, check this out, a faithful man or woman will abound with blessings. Isn't that cool? Faithful man or woman will abound. What's abound mean? Just a little bit? It means a lot. Will abound with blessings. Paul also viewed him as a son in the Lord. Notice what it says, a son in the Lord. And so Paul took him under his wing, viewed him as a son. They walked together. Paul discipled Timothy, or what's the term we use today? What's the big buzzword? Mentor? Is that, people use that? They mentored they mentor one, he met, gets mentored. Paul mentored Timothy. They spent time together. And I, are we to make disciples, by the way? Yes. It starts with us being disciples, but we also are called to make disciples, correct? Yes. Disciple means learner, right? Those that learn about the Lord, his kingdom, and walking in his ways. And Jesus even qualified the statement in Matthew 28. He says, teaching them all the things I've commanded you. That's a great Bible study, by the way. All the things that Jesus commanded. That's where be part of our discipleship process. But let me encourage you today. I think personally, this is my own opinion, I think every one of us should have a Paul and a Timothy in our lives. Amen. Someone that's pouring into us and someone that I am pouring into also. Could Paul, could Paul be everywhere? Paul couldn't be everywhere, so what does he do? He pours into others, and now he can't be at Corinth, and so he's like, Timothy, I need you to go. Titus, I'm leaving you in Crete, right, to, to get things in order. The church is jacked up. You need to get it in order, get some elders, get the thing online and rolling. <laughs> My pastor, Pastor John, so, so awesome. Um, he was going to India for years. I mean, I don't know how he, how he could be in the pulpit and he'd be like smuggling Bibles into Russia with a team. He'd be in India uh, teaching, but he got kicked out of India. <laughs> like, I always like mess with him. You know, you got this little, he had goggles, glasses. Rocket scientist, you know, his, his picture on the wall, wanted, you know. <laughs> little Pastor John. But he got kicked out of India. Couldn't go back in to teach in the Bible colleges. And what he was teaching was the inductive Bible study method, which is what we do, inductive Bible study. So what does he do? He trains up a whole handful of us to go to India for him. So you kick out him, and now he's got 100 other pastors that are going in his place. But I think he got it. He understood this point of pouring into others. And so the question is for us this morning, for me is who are you lovingly pouring into in your life? It may be in your home with your kids. 
It may be in the church and children's ministry. Maybe there's nowhere right now where you're lovingly pouring into. And so this would be a challenge this morning. That as you are receiving from the Lord, it's not just to be like a, like a, uh, like a reservoir, but a channel in which God wants to use your life to make a difference in other people's lives. And no matter, listen, no matter what age you are either. Timothy was a young man. Moses didn't start till he was 80. For our more mature saints this morning, (laughs) we need you. Who is it, listen, this morning, who is it that can act as an extension of who you are and go places that you can't? And so Paul says here, Timothy will have the ministry of reminding, right? He's going to remind you of my ways. I, I, this is so important. I think this is, the, this is really the, the crux of the, uh, of the matter here this morning. He says, Timothy will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach. I love that Paul taught everywhere he went. He, as I teach everywhere in every church. You know what that tells me? Paul was consistent. Not only he didn't change messages, but he taught the truth and he lived the truth. This is so vital this morning. I looked it up in another translation, and this like exploded in my heart. This is another translation. Um, what it says here, this last part of the verse about Timothy, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach. Mm. Paul's life agreed with what he was teaching. This is so important for us, you guys, because we don't want to teach or share, say one thing with our lips and do something totally different with our lives, correct? Our our, our lives and our lips need to be in sync. Are are you with me this morning still? Paul taught them to walk in humility, and guess what he did? He walked in humility. He taught them to be a servant. And guess what he did? He lived as a servant or as an under rower. He taught them to be faithful stewards. And guess what he was? He was a faithful steward. Paul didn't say, listen, Paul did not say, Timothy will say the same things I've said to you. But what? He will remind you of my ways in Christ and the fact that they are consistent with what I teach everywhere. (laughs) So beautiful. That tells me something. It tells me that Timothy knew Paul. Did Timothy know Paul? They spend time together. He can tell you what I'm really like. He's traveled with me. He knows the ways or the way I live is what I teach. Listen this morning, who knows you? Who knows you really, really, really well? That you could say, besides God, someone that's here. (laughs) Your spouse? Your kids? That can give you an honest, accurate assessment of how you're doing. I I think it's, it's absolutely vital. It's crucial. I ask my kids, is dad growing in the Lord? And I've told them on multiple occasions, if dad is not the same person I am in the pulpit and at church as I am at home, you need to call me out on it. 
Because Jesus had the heaviest words for who? The teachers, the religious leaders of the day, correct? He called them whitewashed, what, bunnies? Whitewashed tombs. Oh, outwardly you look great, but inwardly, li listen, you're rotting. And people that come in contact with you, they, they're getting defiled and they don't even know it. It's heavy, man. Why? Because Jesus didn't love them? No, he loved them. He wanted to pull them out of that, to expose that. Because there should be no, that we shouldn't be someone different over there as we are at church. And the, and the sad thing is we are. So often. And Paul, I think Paul, this tells me that he wasn't a phony. And there may be some, listen, there's going to be some tough words, like I shared earlier throughout this book. This may be one. Listen, if we, if the way we live is not consistent with what we believe and teach, then we're guilty of being phonies. And what's the result? It, the result is, if it's happening in my home, I'm sending mixed signals to my kids. And if it's happening anywhere else, guess what? I am, I'm really bringing confusion to the people around me. Did Paul teach that he was perfect? He's saying, these are my ways in Christ that I teach everyone. Was Paul perfect? Is anyone here perfect? Anyone here arrived spiritually yet? Anybody arrived? Thank you. Paul said that to the Philippians. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfected. God's not done with me yet. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'm the chief of sinners. That wasn't like some like phony uh, you know, humility. False humility. That's, a, that's saying, you know what? I am, the, I, man, I was an insolent man, rebel, a religious monster. I can't believe what God has done in my life. Jesus would actually allow me to serve him. He saved me and rescued me and he's given me a fresh start and he's laid out my life as a pattern that he'll do that in any life, no matter how wicked, no matter how brutal. No matter how good you think, he wants to come in and change you and use you and bring glory and honor to his name through your life. Amen. And you know, doesn't that happen the longer we walk with Jesus? I don't know about you, the closer I get to him, the more I realize I'm a mess. Because mm. the Lord starts to go beyond just our outward actions <coughs> and our reactions but also our attitudes of our hearts. Has that ever happened to you guys? Has that ever happened to you guys? The Lord's supposed to deal with your attitudes too. It's like, oh. but it shouldn't cause us to wallow in self-pity and spiral out of control. It should cause us to go, oh, Lord, thank you for dying for me for that sin. God, forgive me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and to what? To purify us from all unrighteousness. That word purify is katharizo in the Greek. Killer word in Greek. It's the word in which we get catheterized. Anybody ever get catheterized? It's gnarly, man. Put the, the poke you and they pull out the poison. But think about that spiritually. When we confess, what happens? He's removing the poison from our hearts. He's doing it. He'll purify you from all unrighteousness when you confess. And then it caused me to go, oh Lord, thank you. 
Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your work. You're not done with me yet. Aren't you grateful that he's not done with you yet? That he hasn't given up on us? That he keeps working in us in a glorious way? Where in the world are we? Sorry. First Corinthians somewhere. Hey, Paul, listen, Paul didn't, Paul didn't ask people to do something that he was not willing to do himself. That was the word that Jesus had for the Pharisees and religious leaders. You put heavy burdens on people and you will not lift them up. You put heavy trips on people and you're not willing to do it yourself. And he's, Paul's saying, listen, family, I've responded. Timothy can tell you. Timothy can tell you exactly my way in Christ. I've blown it, but I've asked for forgiveness. I've messed up. And I've come clean. I've asked for prayer, and I've asked for forgiveness. Timothy has seen me repent before the Lord. Can I encourage you parents? That is a great thing to do with our kids. When we've blown it, is to ask for forgiveness and have them pray for you. Or your spouse, even with your spouse, it's good. Why? Because James 5, I think it's 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. The promise is that you may be healed. God wants to heal those areas and issues in our hearts and our lives. Do you know the Lord's here to heal this morning? But he's also there in your home where two or three or more are gathered. He's right there to bring healing in that area in your home, with your kids, in your marriage. I don't think Paul, I, I think Paul would, would say, I don't pretend to have it all together. I am, he'll say later, I am what I am by the grace of God. And he says, imitate me here. Follow my example. You know, I'm challenged in this. I think it's a challenging passage to say, you know what, can I say this? Follow me. Follow my example. Where will people end up if they're following your lead? Isn't that heavy to consider this morning? Even if, you're, even, if, even if you can't say that, people are following you. Maybe your kids. Maybe the people that, that you have influence on in your life. They're following us. I think there's a lot of people following us. We don't even know it. And so it's a good challenge this morning because there's a difference between talking and walking, isn't there? And Paul's going to get to that. Let's keep rolling. Now it's verse 18. He says, now some are puffed up. What does puffed up mean? Arrogant, prideful. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly. This is great. If the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. Why? For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in, what does your Bible say? In power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Is he, is he saying, you guys better get it right, I'm going to give you a beat down? <laughs> you better shape it up, man. I'm going to bring a can over there. Is that what he's saying? Remember, he's sharing this as a father. Parents, do you guys like to discipline your kids? You do? You like to discipline your kids? Yes? 
do you like, does anybody here like to? I, don't, I can't stand it. But, we, but we sh- we're called to, aren't we? Doesn't the Bible say that or no? The book? Isn't it in the book? You know God's word works? It works. If we don't, Brother Dave will be taking care of your kids. <laughs> it's, not, it's not fun. But it's necessary. Paul's like, how do you want me to come to you? I don't want to come with a rod. I don't want to come with a shepherd's rod. Or a tutor stick, tutors would use, the instructors were reading about. I want to come in gentleness and love. And How do you want me to come? But before we get to that, that last verse, that's the close, by the way. You've already heard the ending. Now we've got to get that back a little bit. Some are puffed up. Paul knew some were puffed up, full of pride, arrogant, in the church. They're swollen, shooting off their mouths. Look what it says, verse 18. Hey, I'm going to come. Some are puffed up, and there's as though I were not coming to you. You know what they were saying? Paul's not coming at all. Paul is a big talker. He doesn't care about you, and he's not coming. He's all talk. He's all bark and no bite. And what does Paul say? I'm coming. If the Lord wills. Isn't that important? Is that important, you guys? James teaches us that, doesn't he? If the Lord wills. Lord willing. What does what that, by the way, just let's stop for just a second. What does that mean, God's will? What does his will mean? It means his desire, his wish, his plan. When we pray that, we, don't, we pray the Our Father, don't we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, thy will be done. That means my will goes. Lord, I want your desires, your wish, your plan for my life. Are you catching me? When you come to know the Lord, that prayer just explodes to life, doesn't it? I grew up in a church, we just memorized that thing. And you could bust out about five or six of those real quick. But then... The author comes and lives in your heart, and it's like, whoa. His name be hallowed. Your kingdom, my kingdom's got to go. I want your kingdom. Because Paul's making a contrast here, too, about kingdoms. They're operating like a worldly kingdom in the church, where God's kingdom is totally different. So let's check it out. Verse 18, listen, these guys are flexing. These dudes are flexing, but when I get there, we'll see what kind of strength they got. Because the kingdom of God, look at verse 20, is one of power, not a lot of hot air. It's not all about talk. Talk is cheap. You guys know, right? You ever heard that saying? Talk is cheap. Power in God's kingdom is not in speaking ability. It's not in fancy words or oratory skills. It's not in fancy words. It's not in bragging and boasting. It's not in worldly wisdom. But in the power of the Holy Spirit. We experience God's power and walk in that power. Please listen this morning as we obey and do what God tells us to do. As we walk in obedience to his word. Paul said earlier, didn't he? Here's how I roll. 
When we're reviled, we bless. When we're defamed, we pray. We encourage people. We don't respond and retaliate like the world does. That, that sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? We find kingdom living in the Sermon on the Mount. How does God want us to live within his kingdom? Blessed are the peacemakers, or blessed are the ones that win the argument? Blessed are the peacemakers, correct? What are we to do when we're reviled? To bless. When someone slaps you on the cheek, to do what? Like smoke them back? <laughs> Turn. How about, just, how about just working your way through all of that? Don't be anxious for anything. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. What happens when you start to do that? Is God faithful to his word? The problem is, it's, it's backwards. We want to operate a different way. If I seek first my stuff, my job, this, I'll ask God to bless it, and then I'll be taken care of. We can go through that whole thing. Those are some things that we just, that's the way the Lord wants us to walk. And he's trying to communicate to the church. Anybody can be a talker. There's lots of big talkers. But what does your life say? A holy life, a Christ-like life is a powerful life. It's a, a, an obedient life. There's reality there. Are you still with me this morning? That's about half of you. That's okay. Because <laughs> this is such an, like a vital lesson for us as Christians. It's crucial. If we want to experience God's power in our lives, does anybody want to experience God's power in your life? Yes. That's about more of the room. Thank you. It's been said God's commandments are his enablements. When we do what he asks us to do, we experience his strength and his power. Come on, pastor. Give me an example of that, man. Okay, how about this? How about when Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and there was a man there with a withered hand? You guys remember that story? Kind of ring a little bell. Jesus cruises into the synagogue. There's a dude there with a withered hand. You know what that means? He's, he's, he's special needs. He's handicapped. Isn't that cool he was at church, by the way? Yes. Not blaming God, not belly aching, poor, poor Mimi's. Maybe lifting up just the one good hand of the Lord. And Jesus sees him there. And the Pharisees are... Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? What's he going to do? Come on out. Come on. Calls him up front. Remember what he tells the handicapped man? Remember what he said to him? Lift up your... Think of, just think about that with me. Lift up your hand. I'm handicapped. Is that an impossible command? Is that an impossible command for a handicapped person? Yes or no? It is. I mean, it's not a trick question. But it's, he didn't respond saying something to him. You know what he did? It says he lifted it up and it was restored as whole as the other. You see, it was in his obedience to Jesus' command that he experienced the healing and the power. And some of us this morning, we've got withered hearts, withered areas of our lives. That we're not, we're not willing to step out and do what the Lord's calling us to do. Whether it's forgiveness or bitterness or to love someone or whatever it is this morning. And that area is withered in your heart and in your life. 
And the Lord's saying, take this step of faith and watch what I'll do. I'll give you what you need. I'll empower you and strengthen you. Just walk in obedience to me. And when we do, we're communicating our love for our Savior because Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. This is the one that loves me, that obeys me. That's how we communicate our love for Jesus. I mean, it's cool to sing songs and, and you know, tell him we love him, but ultimately, he said, if you love me, obey my commandments. He said, if you love me to Peter, do what? Feed my, care for my sheep. Love them, not beat them. Not whoop them. Not entertain them. To feed them, to care for them. Listen, how God does things is through the power of, of obedience. Doing what he tells us to do when it's hard, when it's easy, when it's painful, or whether it's not painful, it's pleasant. When people are against us or for us, when it's against conventional wisdom, and what every, all your family and friends are saying. No matter what the situation, no matter what the season Whatever, when we live as God tells us to live, guess what's going to happen? There's power in that. And you're in his kingdom. The Christian life, I would say this morning, is to be a supernatural life. You know what I mean by that? It's supernaturally natural. You guys know supernaturally weird. That's why you've seen it. It happens naturally. As you're walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, God's doing things through your life, and it's like, man, wow. So who gets the credit? He does. We don't have to tell people how spiritual we are, right? Some people do all that, like, they just want you to know how spiritual they are. If you're spiritual, you don't need to let anybody know how spiritual you are or how many verses you know or how much scripture's in your noggin. It just happens naturally. You're just walking with the Lord, loving the Lord, loving people. And there's power there. There's power in an obedient life. The Corinthians, on the other hand, puffed up with pride. Listen, here's, here's the difference. The Corinthians puffed up with pride, looking down on others and lording at others. That's not, the king, that's not God's kingdom. That's the kingdom of the world. What they're doing is worldly, carnal, immature, dark and what accompanies that you know what accompanies that is phoniness trying to be something you're not having to fake it having to play a game and you know what you're building on when you do that you're building on sand because Jesus said those that don't do what he says you're building your life on sand but those that do what he says are what we're building our lives, our foundation, our home, our church, our ministry, whatever it is we're building upon the rock. Is there power available when we're weak, by the way? Isn't there? When we look down on others, that's really weak. That's real weakness. But there is power when we are weak. Remember when Paul, Paul's going to write later in 2 Corinthians 12. He had a thorn in his flesh. You guys remember that? He pleaded with the Lord, begged the Lord to take it away three times. And he listened and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
not thinking we're all that, just saying, Lord, I need you. I think Paul is saying here, as he's speaking about his ways in Christ as we finish, if you look at my life, you follow me for a while, you're going to find flaws. There's some cracks. There's plenty to be critical of. But what you won't find is a phony or a fake. You won't, you won't find a guy that's talking a big game and not living it. I struggle like everyone else, but I live what I preach. That should be our desire, shouldn't it, this morning? That there wouldn't be any surprises in our lives. And some people, you know, as we close, in closing, some people have illusions about me or delusions of grandeur. <laughs> I let people know right up front, I am far from perfect. There's only one person perfect in our home besides Jesus. That's Tanya. <laughs> she's listening. She's here. She? <laughs> listen, listen, you will see me fail. The leadership knows here I'm a man of, of weakness. But you should have seen me 20 years ago. <laughs> There's been growth. The Christian life is to be one of growth, isn't it? Amen. Of us getting closer to God. Becoming more honest with ourselves and honest with others. Can, can I meddle with you one more time this morning? Mm-hmm. Can I meddle with you one more yes. time this morning? Yeah, because I love you. <laughs> That person that knows you really well, why don't you ask them how you're doing, growing? Say, am I growing in the Lord? Are you seeing growth in me? Is there any change? You know, here's the thing. We practice what we believe and the rest we pay lip service to. That's heavy, huh? Really? Here's the deal. Listen, the orientation of our life should be one of obedience. If you follow me around, you will see someone who takes God's word serious. A dude who loves Jesus and loves others. Perfectly no. Growing by God's grace, yes. I think that should be the testimony of our lives, shouldn't it? A love for the word, a love for our Savior, and a love for others. Growing in those things that we might bring him glory. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. So heavy, but so necessary and needed. God, I pray that my precious brothers and sisters would take away the things that have come from your heart by your spirit, God. That you would help us to grow, Lord. And as we step out in obedience to those things you've called us to, that we would experience your strength and your power. Even those little things where no one else sees. Where it's just you. It's just your eyes. The little things, the big things. That we trust and obey and experience just that work of your spirit. So thank you, Lord. I pray again, Lord, my brothers and sisters would be encouraged and built up today, challenged perhaps. Just as you've challenged me, Lord, in this passage, that there would be reality in our walk with you, Jesus. 
that we would be decreasing, that you would be increasing, that you would be made known. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for this morning, for speaking to our hearts, touching our lives. And this morning, as we're still in an attitude of prayer, as we finish our Bible study, perhaps the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning. You know the Lord already. You're walking with Jesus. The Lord has spoken to your heart. Maybe there's some things you need to just give to him today. As we just take a moment, as we sit in his presence, as we sit with our Jesus, just to give things over to him, perhaps, that maybe they've been holding you back. Things that keep us maybe from God's best. Allow the Lord just to to minister to your heart as His Word is washed over us. I just want to remind you how much He loves you today, He cherishes you. While we're still in an attitude of prayer, maybe you've been listening this morning and you don't know Jesus personally. Maybe you know about him or what others have said about him. Maybe it's all intellectual head knowledge. You don't know him personally. It's not an accident you're here. It's not an accident you're listening. The Lord wants to rescue and save you this morning to forgive you. He loves you. He demonstrated his love by dying on the cross for your sins and mine. He suffered, died, and was buried and rose again on the third day. And he offers forgiveness and everlasting life to the one that will turn, that will repent and place their trust in him. Is that you this morning? Anyone at all this morning? If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something very simple right where you are sitting. You raise up your hand. Can I pray with you this morning? you open your heart to Jesus, God bless you. I see your hand. Anyone else this morning? Praise the Lord. Anyone else? This is the most important decision you'll ever make is concerning your eternity. God bless you. I see your hand. Anyone else this morning? Praise the Lord. Anyone else this morning? You can put your hand down. All right. For those that have raised up their hands this morning, You can repeat this, this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. Thank you for dying for me, for my sins. Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you wash me and cleanse me and make me new. You promised you would. Would you fill me with your spirit? I don't want to go back to those sins anymore. I love you, Lord Jesus. And I surrender my life to you now. 
Father, we thank you for those that have opened their hearts to receive Jesus, to believe on his name. Lord, you tell us unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And so, God, would you work in such a glorious way in their hearts and their lives. Give them a hunger for your word, a love for others, a love for you. Cause them to just abound under your care. We thank you so much. We know there's rejoicing in heaven. So may we rejoice with those who rejoice. We love you. Thank you for first loving us. And it's in your precious and your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord.